The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What's up, y'all? This is One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. I'm Joel Penfield. Thank you so much for tuning in today, whether you're on YouTube, uh, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for tuning in and making this a part of your day, uh, listening, talking to little Royals. Joining me tonight is someone that does a, like a little bit of everything, former big <laughs> leaguer with the Royals, uh, podcast host, motivational speaker, does a lot, just a little bit of everything. Les Norman, uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking to little Royals with me. You got it, brother, man. It's great to be here. The Royals game is on. I was watching it a little bit. So uh, we're sliding right back over into you. And uh, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm glad that we have real baseball to talk about. It was kind of cool to talk a little bit of spring training, get our feet wet a little bit. But these games matter. And we got a lot of them to, to discuss. Uh, before we do that, this show is always brought to you by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Let's hear a quick word from them. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go. And the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page, you know, we can write a program based off of what a kid needs, not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense. It's what does this kid need? On the pitching end, we can say, hey, this kid needs such and such. He needs to do this or that better. A lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound. It actually needs to be fixed in the weight room. Thanks to Kansas City Strength and Conditioning, as always. All right, Les, so at the time we were recording, we were recording during game one of the four-game set against Detroit. Uh, the Royals have played five games so far. The game got banged yesterday in St. Louis. Uh, they won the first two Thursday, uh, Thursday and Saturday, and then lost uh, Saturday, or, uh, Saturday, Sunday, or Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Uh, so a little a bit of a mixed bag early. Before we hit position players and pitchers specifically, what have been some of your overall impressions of what you've seen through five games? Obviously a small sample, but there's there's some stuff to take from it. Yeah, there is. Um, you know, one of the big things we we talk about is Bobby Witt Jr. And, and although um, he – the batting average and the numbers uh, aren't there. And I want to caution your listeners that, uh, look, a, a hitter needs at least 100 at-bats to okay. get an idea of where they're going to be. And we were kind of talking about this before we got set up. 
you know, you could be hitting a hundred and get a hit or two hits or three hits. And all of a sudden you're jumping to 285 or something like that. I don't know my math, but you get the idea. I mean, um, I remember one time in the minor leagues, if I, if I went three for four, my average went down and that's because I just got off to a hot start in the first five games. And so you just never know. So I like Bobby Witt's poise at the plate. He gets deep into counts. Um, they're pitching in both sides of the plate. They're they're giving him a lot of off speed. They're starting him off with off speed. They're trying to get him to chase. They're trying to define the holes because they don't know the holes yet. And then on defense, he's played incredible defense. Oh, yeah. uh, he's shown good poise there as well. I think that defense will never be an issue for him. That play where he spun around and threw the two hopper to Selby against the Guardians. Wow. I don't remember. It was ever ridiculous. Seen. Yeah, it was crazy. Kid's 21 years old. He can play in the big leagues, but he can't rent a car yet for another four years. How crazy is that? Um, I think another thing is the not just his defense, but we've got three all-star shortstops mm-hmm. on the infield. And no knock to Santana, but imagine when when if you've got those three guys and then Prado gets here who not only can mash, but he's known as a, a defensive, potential defensive superstar as well. Um, I like the the home run thing was a little bit slow, but you know Salvi hitting a couple and Benintendi getting off to a hot start. That's great. Um, but I'd say the final thing that, that catches my eye, I think we were all worried about it or at least thinking about it, was the huge question marks on this pitching staff. I think we knew Granky was going to be fine. We were hoping Keller was going to be of two years ago and not last year. And then we, we knew Barlow and Stalmont and Brents were going to be solid, and they've been workhorses. We just hope they'd stay healthy and not get taxed. But here we are already. The offense, after five games, was averaging 3.8 runs a game. The pitching staff was averaging 6.8 runs a game. Now, that's because in back-to-back games, they gave up 17 and 10. But still, it's still an average. And so when your pitching staff is giving up three more runs than what you're your uh, your offense is doing, even though it's a very small sample size, it feeds right into the question marks. And so I'm sure we're going to talk about it and yeah. uh, well, uh, they're going to they're going to need to figure it out. Yeah, we're going to hit on all that stuff. I think that's a great primer for for the full conversation here. But I do want to start with Bobby Wood Jr. And you're right. The poise that he's shown, like you would not know he was, I think at this point now, three for 21. Uh, mm-hmm. The way he carries himself, I think, is so impressive. And I was at the game on opening day uh, with my dad, and I was so excited to see how Bobby was going to react, how they were going to pitch to him. And normally, just generally speaking, when you see these highly tied prospects come up or guys make the big league debut, it's, all right, let's see if they can hit the heater. And then they start popping that. And then three games in, they're 0 for 12 because they started throwing all the curveballs. They were The Cleveland pitching staff was pitching him backwards from his third Mm at-bat. They started throwing him first-pitch sliders, first-pitch change-ups. And you could see he was he was dead red and ready to go. And he'd take that ugly swing, he'd step out, reset, and then they throw it again, he'd spit on it. Mm-hmm. Right there. And just that that subtle adjustment, the his ability to make the adjustments as quickly as he did uh, yeah. was what stuck out to me the most in game one. And his ability to impact the game in some way. In his first three big league games, he went go ahead double for his first big league knock in the biggest spot of the game in the eighth, makes the ridiculous defensive play. Uh, to keep the game tied in the 10th mm-hmm. inning. And then even the game, the game was essentially over in the third inning against Cleveland on Sunday. He still goes in and gets a two run double to at least keep the Royals in it. He could have mailed in those at bats just like everybody else, but he still gets up and makes a knock. And that to me says a lot about where he's going to be. I'm not worried about his numbers right now. I'm not going to be worried until like July 
like if he's still kind of flailing and stuff, then we have reason to go, okay. But I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, I think the way that he has carried himself to this point, he's only going to get better. And the bats he's tuned, he's turning in, give me a lot of room for, for optimism. Yes, I absolutely agree. You know, by being the number one prospect, not just in the Royals organization, but in all of baseball, that carries weight. And, and we know that he is, you know, I played in one spring training. I didn't make the big league club in 98, but I played with his dad. Uh, that's aging myself, but I played with his dad in spring training with the Rangers in 98. And I, I think Bobby was one at the time, maybe. I mean, he was a baby. So he does come from big league lineage. So what, what that means is you have the conversations. And as he's gotten older, he's hung out with dad at alumni events and stuff like that. But if you're not around the clubhouse while dad is playing, you know, conversations are just that they're conversations and they might put you a little bit ahead of the game, but it shows his maturity and poise at a young age where the game doesn't give in, doesn't, doesn't get too big for him. Look, there are millions of guys that are talented enough to play major league baseball. There really are. It's just the reason why so many don't make it is because the game gets too big. It gets surreal and they, they can't handle it emotionally when they get up there. Now, there are guys that get hurt. There are guys that, you know, are low draft picks and don't get as much of a chance as maybe some first, second rounders. But there are also guys that that just get there. Look, it, when, before you play a game, you, you'd mentioned that, you know, they're throwing him sliders, first pitch sliders and working him away and throwing him off speed stuff. That's respect, man. That mm -hmm. is absolute respect. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's not the, the the old days of here's my 99, brother. See if you can hit it because he would have mashed it. And they knew he would have mashed it because in the minor leagues in the spring training, he was mashing that. So when you're 21 and you don't have a big league day, but you're already jacking up the the opposing team's scouting report on the pitching side, you know that you're, you're going to be around for a long time. Oh, yeah. And, and for the Royals fans that are freaking out about his stat line early in the season, Julio <laughs> Rodriguez is having a rough time in Seattle right now. Yeah. Spencer Torkelson, it took him 13 at-bats to get his first big league knock. Right. So there are other these other highly touted guys that are having the same sorts of struggles. It's baseball. It's really yeah. friggin' hard. And yeah. especially when, especially like your Bobby, where you got, you know, about a couple hundred at-bats in double-A, a couple hundred bats in triple-A. And now, welcome to the show, kid. Let's go and let's yeah. see what you got. And it also shows the Royals' belief in him, just like Detroit believes in Torkelson, just like right. the uh, like the Mayors believe in J Rod. So mm -hmm. it's gonna be fine. I, yeah. There's no reason to worry. There's no. I think that some of it is the expectation he has created, which mm -hmm. is a good thing because that means that people believe he's actually going to be the guy, and it's not just hype. They actually right. believe the reality of who he can be. Yeah. So he's gonna he, be just fine. I, yeah, I can't wait is. for what he's gonna do. He's gonna hit probably about two eighty to two ninety. He'll probably hit 15 to 20 home runs. He, he's not going to hit like he did in the minor leagues because in the minor leagues, it's just, it's, it's different. Guys can't throw the way they throw in the big leagues. I mean, there's, there's the emotional, there's the mental, there's all those intangibles along with, oh, by the way, there's a reason why those major leaguers are major leaguers because mm -hmm. they can hit a dime in the outside corner when they want, they can pitch backwards. They're not afraid to, you'll get, um, I mean, I saw a game, uh, I think, uh, uh, the third game of the season. I can't remember which one I was watching on TV, but a 3-0 pitch, guy threw a, a slider. And then a 3-1 pitch, It was and it was the number eight hitter he was facing. And then he threw a 3-0 slider, a 3-2 curveball, or a 3-1 curveball, and a 3-2 changeup, and struck the guy out on 3-0. 
They don't do that in the minor leagues. 3-0, here's my fastball. You might see a breaking ball 3-1 or, or maybe 3-2, but they just don't have the confidence or the talent to be able to do that. And so um, it's just a matter of a chess game, man. The pitchers, sometimes whoever adjusts first. With Bobby Wood Jr., the pitchers have, adjust, have adjusted first. Now Bobby will adjust back, and then the pitchers will adjust back, and it'll keep going back and forth. So in this first year, 282-90, but I'll bet you by the time he's 24, he's an all-star. Oh yeah, I, honestly, it might not even be that. Like, it might even be sooner. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to be nice and not. If we're being honest, like, yeah. yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100. percent He's yeah. gonna be in the rookie of the year conversation by the end of the year, as he should be. And I also have a plus 300 ticket on that side. So Appreciate if he was. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's an it's exciting times for sure. Uh, looking at some of these other hitters, I mean, Andrew Benintendi's been off hot. Uh, obviously, the the contract year is undefeated. So you knew he was going to come out, come out with a vengeance early on because he's wanting to get breaded up this offseason. Right. Uh, that that's a really welcome sign. Uh, getting he's where the Royals at least see at this point early are getting the guy that they traded for, uh, and they did yeah. it at times last year. Uh, he was hurt there. At the, you know, he struggled at the beginning, then he got good, got hurt, and then he struggled and then got was good again. So it was an up and down uh, mixed bag that you got early on. But if he is fully healthy for a full season. Uh, it's looking really good for him to be your your three hitter for the rest of the year, and I think that's a been a really good spot for him. You know, I agree, and and there are superstar hitters that in their contract year know how to turn it on. I was not one of them. I would not have been able to do that. Um, I think that would have played on me uh, mentally a little bit, and so um, to to say with Benintendi, I mean, he's still only twenty seven. He's not thirty two mm-hmm. or thirty three. Um, I just think he works hard and I think yeah. we're seeing result of him working hard. I think for him, the whole contract thing is, is probably a little more coincidental, but he, he's just growing as a hitter every year. He, he understands and lets the game come to him. He doesn't get frazzled by pitches, no matter what they're throwing, no matter who's on the mound, no matter how hard they're throwing, no matter how they're pitching him again tonight, did not have the best first at bat, got a little jazz a little bit and didn't see the ball really well, but that's okay. Um, I just love his hands. He does a great job uh, going with pitches. Um, he never tries to muscle up. If it's a pitch that he can drive, he'll put a good swing on it and turn on it, but you'll never see him get off balance and overswing. And he just has a great strike zone awareness. He's a mature hitter for a 27-year-old. Now, again, he was with Boston. He got to the big leagues early. I get it. People think he's older than he is because he's been around, but still – Hitting is hard. You mentioned it earlier. The big leagues is hard. Pitching's hard. Hitting is hard. And I just think that he's he's maturing and staying with his game plan consistently. And I think the Royals need to lock him down. Yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting case. I kind of made the case before the season with uh, Alex over on Royals Farm Report that the the Cattell Marte extension kind of throws a wrench into it because it Benintendi could probably get something similar somewhere around like a, sure. a five or seventy eight something like that, which mm-hmm. you got think about if you're if you're the royals uh it, 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 for good or for bad uh, but my initial thought was you probably can get i think kyle isbell i'm a big believer in what he can do and yeah. you probably get some production from him at a cheaper price with more control uh you know moving forward but i mean if he plays like this you you at least consider bringing andrew benintendi back a little more now if he continues on the plane he's on right now he might price himself out of kansas city so there's right. a, a game play there speaking of kyle isbell he made the big league roster, which he should have. Uh, I think he, there's not much left for him to prove in AAA. Uh, after a rough go at the beginning in Kansas City uh, to start of 2021 and then struggling when he went back down to Omaha, 
he turned it on hit about 330 the rest of the year. Like there, there's not much left for him to do. He's too good a hitter. But the fact that he hasn't really, I don't even think he's gotten a single at bat this year so far. Right. He has one pinch running appearance. It is a little odd. I think it, the Royals want to say that they believe in him and think he can be a part of the future. And then they just kind of sit him on the bench with Edward Olivares. It's it's just a little, it strikes me as a little odd because uh, I do think he can be a really good big league contributor, a, you know, a two, three win player, elite defender in, on the corners. I, I want to see him in the lineup here soon. We're six games in and he hasn't seen a, a lineup yet or even a pinch hit opportunity. Yeah, this is this has kind of a special place in my heart what those guys are going through because in my year and 62 game, 62 days in the big leagues, what they're doing this first week, uh, excuse me, what they're doing this first week is what I did my whole short major league career. And it's one of the hardest things to do. I mean, Hubie Brooks sat, sat down next to me in my first year in Kansas City and he said, son, this is the hardest thing to do in, in baseball is to sit for two or three weeks and then be asked to get up and, and have a good at bat like you've been playing for three weeks. And that's hard enough for guys that have been in the big leagues for a long time, let alone a rookie. And so the longer they sit and do not get utilized, the 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 more it's going to hurt them because their timing's going to be off. Uh, they're going to press when they get in there because they're so young. I mean, look look what Oliveris did in spring training. I mean, it was oh, ridiculous. Yeah. He he led the Royals in everything. He might have led the Royals in uh, pepperoni pizzas that he ate. I don't know. I mean, something. But um, he just absolutely went off. And so they're going to have to find a way to crack these guys in the lineup a little bit, even if it's – I know Dozier has started off pretty good. Um, you got to save, you know, the, the DH spot for Salvi. Once a week, and I get that, but Matheny's just going to have to do it because if he, if he, if someone gets hurt and he has to rely on them later, it's going to be tougher for them to produce because they're they're not going to have the timing that you need. And, and look, they're not going to be everyday players. They're not going to unseat two Gold Glovers and Whit Merrifield in the outfield. I mean, really, it's just not yeah. going to happen. It's tough. But occasionally, you you can't be afraid to to pinch hit for Bobby Witt Jr. once in a while. You can't be afraid to pinch hit for Hunter Dozier. Mondesi has not been tearing the cover off the ball. If it's a ninth inning and we're down, throw one of those guys in there and, mm-hmm. and give them opportunities to show what they can do and let that full roster help you. Yeah, I mean, it's super early, so these numbers are not always indicative or not indicative of the success they could have moving forward. But Carlos Santana has a sub-400 OPS. Yeah, Mondesi has a sub-400 OPS. You know, uh, Michael A. Taylor sub four hundred OPS. Like it's, yeah. or he actually he's at eight seventy five because he had one home run. But I digress. Like there's not a lot of thump around here somewhere. Hunter Dozier is a four fifty. Like they're at a, at a certain point, you need to rattle the bat rack a little bit mm-hmm. and get some guys in there that can maybe give you a spark. And yeah. I think it is going to be giving Mondesi a day off here and there because we know how brittle he can be at times and how quickly an IL stint for him can come. Uh, Hunter Dozier, you never know what you're going to get with him sometimes. Uh, moving Whit Merrifield back into a natural position at second base, I don't know if he'll he'll be able to hold up in right field every single day with him playing every single day like he likes to do and that the Royals like him to do. You know, so, I, mean, I want to comment on that real quick. I even watched it tonight, but look, Whit Merrifield's a great athlete, but he's not an everyday outfielder. I mean, if no. you watch the way he approaches balls, I mean, he's not super comfortable even on mm-hmm. routine fly balls. He does not track them like an outfielder tracks them. So, look, I, I get you need to have him in the lineup, and you need Lopez at second, and I get the way all that is, but they may have to deal him away 
or let one of these young guys be dealt away to go play somewhere else. And obviously the hole is, and I know we're going to talk about it. We need pitching because pitching has, is, is not off to a great start and it doesn't seem like it's, it's, you know, maybe not going to get there. So look, man, um, there, there's got to be a way, and it seems like there is a way for the Royals to get these younger guys in. And if that's if that's trading away a guy like, I mean, I know they they signed him. There's a contract and all that, but but look, regardless of the fact, you, you need an everyday outfielder, and you have to let these guys be able to play. Yeah, there there's going to be some shuffling. I think that goes on here pretty soon because yeah. I don't think they can let the offense be the way it is. I like the oh, lineup you roll out on opening day is fine, but scoring less than four runs a game, it's just not going to play in the way that the way the game is played now, it's not yeah. going to work and it's not right. going to win you games playing small ball works at times in like October, but you can't even get to October if you're losing 90 games a year. Yeah. So. But tell me brother, aren't you, aren't you tired of, of, of having to rely on playing the small ball game. I mean, seriously, I know Salvi mm-hmm. hit 48 last year, but but how often do we have to settle for, oh, I guess that's what we're going to be because yeah, of I, the pitching or because it doesn't of the work. lack. Like, it, it, it doesn't it work. It just doesn't work in the way the way the game is played now. Yeah. You got to bang the ball a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. I understand you can have your Nicky Lopez's in the lineup. You can't have four of them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what they have right now. And right. speaking of Nicky Lopez, he's been awesome. I have to eat a bunch <laughs> of crow on him. But he's hitting 350 at the bottom of the lineup. Like he's the perfect consummate nine-hole hitter that brings yeah. that brings you right back to the top of the lineup. So Your second leadoff. That's, that's my Illinois boy right there. Yeah. yeah ton, tons of credit to him. Uh he is he's been very, very impressive early yeah. on. Uh I don't really have much to say about Salvador Perez. It seems like he's figured things out in his bank. It, it, that yeah, that mammoth just... shot. He, once, once he got one homer, I knew I was like, okay, he's going to be fine. Like, he's yeah. going to figure it out and he'll, he'll be okay. He's He's been around the game for long enough. Like he'll he'll be all right. Yeah. I don't have anything else with the line. So let's move on to the pitching. But before we do that, we're into our weekly segment with uh, with Keona Sinks talking about what's coming up at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Jackie Robinson Day is coming out, is on the day that this podcast comes out. So uh, check it out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. 
Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. All right, Kiona, so you mentioned uh, last time we were on uh, that the Cleveland Guardians uh, team, players, uh, coaches, all that were going to come to the museum on the off day. What was uh, that experience like for, for if there's anybody that has been there before or uh, first time uh, players that were there? It was amazing. Uh, really excited to, to welcome the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, I had to catch myself uh, to the museum. It was just so amazing. A lot of the coaches, a lot of the players, front office made their way down to historic 18th and Vine to get that tour from our president, Bob Kidrick, to experience the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. From, from me, from my perspective, going downstairs, seeing a lot of these young athletes uh, start to learn about the history of our game and how the museum is doing our due diligence to preserve America's pastime really allows them, Joel, to integrate themselves and reflect it back um, and, and see, you know, like these guys paved the way. And so, of course, you know, I'm I'm in the back floating around and, you know, you kind of get to see the head nods and a lot of the, the the selfies and the picture taking and all of the things that that everybody does when they come to the museum. But it was definitely a delight to see uh, us welcome our first team of, of 2022 to the museum and there'll be more. But it was definitely great uh, to, to have Cleveland here. Absolutely. I love that a lot of teams make that a regular part of the road trip, especially if there's an off day before or something like that. And especially the teams that don't come to Kansas city all that often. I mean, I know teams from Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, I don't know. They don't come every year because they're here, you know, 10, 12 times a year, but you know, for the teams like I'm excited for like the Dodgers, the Padres, the, the Rockies, some of these teams that, that don't come to Kansas city very often. I hope they're able to, to make their way to the museum as well. How cool is it to see the guys that, uh, that are there for the first time that haven't been there, um, you know, of any, uh, any race that are, that are there for the, what's it like to see that experience for those guys? It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, this is home. This is their second home. This is for most athletes who, you know, look like myself, you know, this is their mothership, you know, this is where you come and you, you pay your respects, you pay your dues and, you know, you're grateful for men and women who paved the way to, create an opportunity to play in the big leagues. You know, these athletes, as you know, Joel, as we talk about all the time, you know, when Buck built this museum, he wanted to do that. So these athletes would be remembered and the stories would continue to live on. And so this story is generational. Buck was generational. And now I remember, you know, listening to Bob talk about, you know, a lot of the conversations him and Buck had about you know, wanting to get Major League Baseball teams to the museum. You know, there was a point in time where we were, we were begging, essentially, to have them come. And now, you know, I think Major League Baseball and the aspect around diversity, equity, and inclusion are starting to embrace that the museum plays a larger role in this conversation as we continue to not only grow our game and our sport, but obviously educate and apply these life lessons that the Negro Leagues, you know, represent and how they can be applied today. 
Yeah, absolutely. So this week, I believe it's this Friday, a significant day, 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier uh, when he stepped on the field for the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, on April 15th, 1947. What do you guys have coming up for that? I know you, you mentioned to me there's a, a Twitter space. What's going to be going on there with, with that? Yeah, we thought, Joel, it'd be great just to, you know, obviously our contribution to the 75th anniversary will be continue, continuously throughout the year. But for to kick off, you know, April 15th, uh, the museum will be hosting the Twitter spaces uh, moderated by Ty Redham, uh, Jeff Jeff Passan, Bob Kendrick, uh, LaTroy Hawkins, uh, Dave Stewart, just some legendary, you know, people who've done some great things for our sport, but obviously very community oriented and understand the history and the importance and the relevancy of our game. And so uh, I'm breaking out uh, people to get on Twitter uh, from, from a generational perspective. It'd be funny to see if they can actually uh, uh, all get on there at the same time and not have any issues, but we're going to have a Twitter spaces and it's the conversation uh, with great people. And you, you can expect to hear, you know, how Jackie's, you know, breaking of the color barrier was ultimately the start uh, the beginning, actually, of the civil rights movement in this country. Um, and, and that's that's what we believe here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. So it should be a great conversation. Is there a time for that set? Uh, I want to make sure that I can get on that as well. So, and for anybody oh, yeah. else that's listening. Le 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock Central Standard Time on yeah. Twitter. Uh, the museum, we have been promoting it. So people can just, it's literally like a, a huge conference call. Just jump on Twitter and just, just listen to the conversation. But it should be an exciting conversation. Awesome. We'll be sure to plug that as well. And then also coming up soon, uh, the uh, Monarch Plaza rededication uh, is coming up here. I believe you said May 6th. Uh, can you take for those that maybe don't know enough about that, what, what's going on there? What, what can we look forward to here in the, in the coming weeks? Absolutely. Uh, Monarch Plaza, the former home of Municipal Stadium, was home okay. to uh, the Kansas City Monarchs, uh, Kansas City uh, Athletics. I'm trying to think of uh, our Chiefs, our Royals, uh, our Kansas City A's, excuse me. Um, and they all played a significant role uh, for sports history there in that stadium that was located on the corner of 22nd and Brooklyn here in Kansas City. And so uh, like most things, uh, sometimes uh, things need to be repaired and they fall into a state of despair. Um, and last year around this time, we were out there to shoot with the Royals. Um, and, you know, you just kind of look around and you're like, man, it's, it's, it's falling apart. And you know, the Negro Luke's Baseball Museum has a natural vested interest in wanting to see this plaza, uh, you know, look its part um, because it is a significant part of black baseball history in our city. And so make a long story short, Joel, we're, we're rededicating the plaza on May 6th, Friday, May 6th at 11 o'clock, uh, open to the public. And uh, it'll be amazing. We're unveiling a new Jackie Robinson placard as well. He's the only placard that was not in installed uh, on the plaza, which we found to be uh, very eye-opening and then just oh, yeah. more symbolic, uh, you know, because of his role with the Kansas City Monarchs. And so it just makes for a greater story. Uh, you got, I think, placards out there, Mr. Uh, Bobby Bell, Hall of Famer Bobby Bell, uh, Hall of Famer, Rose Hall of Famer Amos Otis, uh, Rose Hall of Famer Frank White, just all these people that are pictured that have a dedicated spot for their image. And, it, you know, of course, it gives history and their stats and all that stuff. But you know, if, if it's not if it's not readable, right, uh, it's, it's nothing to see. So we're going to give people something to see on Friday, May 6th, and we're really excited about that. All right, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. I'm <laughs> excited for Friday. Not a, Jackie Robinson Day is one of my favorite days of the year. I always try and get to the park. I love that everybody wears 42 that day, you know, the famous conversation that happened with him and Pee Wee Reese. And to see that, you know, shown and revitalized every year on, on April 15th is certainly uh, one of my favorite days of the year, and I uh, can't wait to see what's up next. Thank you very much, Kiona. Thank you, Joe.
So the pitching has been a problem, <laughs> to put it lightly, less. Um, I think Grinky was great on opening day. If you can figure out a way to get five or six innings out of him like that uh, for the, the length of the season, you're golden and you're feeling really good. Brad Keller looked as good as I've seen him since 2020. Yeah. So that was very impressive, throwing his four-seamer at the top of the zone, he, uh, along with the sinker slider that he already has. We can keep working the change up a little more. I like what I like what I saw from him. He looked confident. He looked a little more fluid. It was really, it was really encouraging. And then we got to what we saw the next three days. <laughs> yeah. That was it hurt a little bit. Like I I was I tried watching a little bit of the game on Sunday. And once Chris Bubich went out and it was six nothing, I went, I'm gonna check you on a final round of the Masters and just not put myself through this because it, it got painful. And then it got painful on Monday. And then it got kind of painful on, on Tuesday as well. Now Lynch settled in relatively well uh, to get through five, but it's, it's really concerning. It is. And I try not to make too much stock out of one start, but it is a little where I, I am worried that this is going to be a sign of things to come. Yeah, yeah I'm with you. Um, I was really encouraged by Keller again because he was topping out at 97, but he was pitching to contact. And later on he would say, you know, I've got three all-star caliber shortstops behind me. Why wouldn't I pitch to contact? So that's a smart and talented Brad Keller instead of a guy trying to pick and walk in guys or leaving the ball over the middle of the plate. Because, look, I don't care if you throw 97 or 100 miles an hour. If you throw it over the middle of the plate, big league hitters are going to hammer that. And so um, he's I think he's matured over and he learned a lot from last year. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this year what we saw in that first start. I'm not saying he's going to win every game or win a Cy Young but his approach is different. And when your yep. approach is good and it matches your, your talent and you stay healthy with a great defense behind you, you're probably going to have good results over the course of the season. And, and I wouldn't be too worried about it, except for the fact that that backside of the bullpen is young guy, young guy, young guy. And the Royals have touted their pitchers for a long time. Oh, we're going to bring this guy up and this guy. I mean, one week of the season and Coar is out of the big leagues now. He's he, he's already sent out. And so, and and understandably why he was over the middle of the plate and statistics didn't show it. And the Coar experience might just be done for quite a while, if not forever, who knows? But, um, you know, Bubich is a guy that even though he's young, he's been in the big leagues long enough and it's time to figure some things out. Granted, it's only one start. So we got to give him some starts. But when you match it with, we gave up 17, we gave up 10, and although we only gave up six, when Lynch only gave up six in St. Louis, it was because of three-run home run and three-run home run. Two of them are back-to-back. And so it worries me that they're not going to learn from it, and hopefully they will. Um, it worries me that Barlow and and Stalmont and Brents are going to get abused. Um you know, I, I I like the fact that Dylan Coleman is in the big leagues, Stunned. and he and he, he is a stud. But he he and he throws ninety eight. But in St. Louis, he got hit around pretty hard. Mm-hmm. He was three up, three down. But he had three at bats where there was some serious exit velocity that that jumped yeah. off the bat. And so, granted, that's you're going to have that pitching to contact is great, but pitching to contact when you throw ninety eight and you're pitching in the seventh or eighth inning probably not the best route to go because that's right. where more base runners come. I'll end with this. The the reason I'm not worried about Daniel Lynch was because even though he made some mistakes, we also saw flashes of brilliance. We saw mm-hmm. seven strikeouts with some, I mean, yeah, he gave up the home run to Arenado. The next at bat, he made Arenado look foolish 
on four pitches. And so his slider's working good. His changeup's working good. When he spotted his fastball and kept it down, he was good. And so when you, when you see the brilliance there and then you give up a couple and then the brilliance there, then he's just a start or two away or a bullpen session away from figuring it out. Yeah. And there's you, you can obviously tell he has forgotten about the whole, uh-oh, I came to the big leagues and I, I yucked all over myself and now I got to go back down to the minor leagues. I mean, they don't think, I don't think they handled that well, but mentally he's gotten over that. So I think he's going to be fine. But uh, some of these other guys are going to have to get to it really early or we're going to dig ourselves a hole in the first month of the season. So I'll start with the built-in excuse that I think a lot of teams have early on. Because of the lockout, they couldn't communicate with their pitching staff, player development, anything like that. So really guys were having to work on their own and just get ready for the season. And then you had an abbreviated spring training where you're, I mean, it's trial by fire for everyone, even for the 10-year vets trying Mm -hmm. to get going. I mean, you saw Kershaw yesterday. Uh, perfect through seven, but he's like, I haven't thrown more than 75 pitches in a sim. So I didn't pick up a ball until January because no one knew when the season was going to start. Now that said, what we saw from the four 2018 pitchers that have come up and pitched a lot in the big leagues with Lynch, Coar, Singer, and Bubich, it's the same stuff and the same issues that we've seen since they come to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. Chris Bubich, I, I like Chris Bubich a lot, but when he loses command, it is ugly. And it has been that way since 2020. Snowballs, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It does. And some of it, I've mentioned before, some of it's just his delivery. It's so funky that sometimes it just, he lacks command, but you iron it out, he might lose the deception and 92 doesn't play. So there's some some give and take there, but the command is ugly when it is not on. When he's on, it's great. But when he he loses it at all, he's hanging changeups over the middle and it's it's not good. Brady Singer's a mixed bag of awful most of the time. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I hate to be that critical and, and knock on the kid, but and he doesn't throw his third pitch mm-hmm. as much as the Royals want him to, as much as the Royals want to say he's working on it, much as he want to say he wants to say that he's working on it, he doesn't throw it. And now you move him to the bullpen, which I think some of me thinks okay, maybe that can work, but it de incentivizes him to throw that third pitch because you don't need to throw a third pitch in the bullpen for the most part. His, his sinker slider will be fine, and so it it's just it feels a little contradicting. And he's yeah. his command gets all over the place too because of how much movement he gets on his pitches and he can't hold it in. Jackson Coar can't throw his fastball over the plate without it getting walloped, and he can't even get to his changeup. And so, and I think a lot of his stuff is between the ears right now because mm-hmm. he is he dominated low A, high A, double A, triple A, and it, yeah. they're like with no hiccups. Right. And even last year when he went back down, shoved and was great. And now he just cannot figure it out the big level. So that tells me that it's it's here. Mm-hmm. And hopefully he can get it figured out in Omaha. Right. And with Lynch, it's been, okay, I can get to two strikes, but can't put hitters away. Right. All three home runs he gave up are with two strikes. So there, so and I think that is the most fixable problem of any of those four. Mm-hmm. So that gives me a little bit of hope that Lynch can still be a guy. And for him sure. to still strike out seven and five uh outside of those three, the three home runs, can be a fine, but Again, he hasn't been able to put hitters away with two strikes for all of 2021 and his first start this year. So it is a pro it's a developmental problem and it's a problem with those guys not getting better. So there's yeah. there's a lot of blame to go around with it. Right. In in these situations, unfortunately, when you have the same draft class and now they're in the big leagues and the, the similar things are happening and they're not getting better, they're getting worse. You know, it's like when it when a team is losing 
a lot and the expectations were higher. The hitting coach gets fired. Um, the hitting coach gets fired more than anybody, I think, in the, on the coaching staff. But and, and I'm not one of the guys that, oh, you got to fire Cal Eldred. You got to fire Cal Eldred. Sometimes those are byproducts of the situation. But somewhere in the system, somewhere in the minor league system, somewhere, I'm not saying fire anybody at all. What I'm saying is, what is your communication? Because if you look at Bubich, he needs to just get to work. He needs to figure out smoother mechanics and he's got the stuff. But you're if you throw 92, then you better be painting corners. Uh, Brady Singer just needs to get tougher, man. He he needs to go deeper into games. He, he needed to um, w- sometimes when you take a beating, you needed to wear it. And and my goodness gracious, it at at University of Florida, you might have gotten away with two pitches, and that's fine. But you're in the big leagues, and you better darn well throw three pitches. And hey, once you get number three, get a fourth. And you were talking about when you throw in the bullpen, you do need a change up in the bullpen because where Usually, else you, yeah. you, where else mm-hmm. you going to practice it? If you yeah. practice it in the game, then the grounds crew are going to be practicing fishing it out of the fountain because that's where it's going to end up landing. Yep. And and so, you know, like like we talked about, you know, we agree on Lynch. He's got to learn how to put guys away, but he's got strikeout. He's got swing and miss stuff with two strikes. He just needs to learn to develop it. So we've seen his great stuff in action. Um, so, yeah, man, it and Coar, there are just some guys. I've seen a lot of guys that I played with that I played against and I've seen since then that can dominate the minor leagues, but they get to the big leagues and they just can't figure it out. And you're right. It's all here. It, it It's too surreal. They're insecure. They're pitching to not fail instead of pitching to their strengths and not worrying about the result. When like anything in life, baseball, business, family, whatever, if you do things to not fail, you're increasing your chances of failing. You're expecting yep. yourself to fail. You're you're seeing it before it even happens. And I feel like that's what Coar's done. Yeah, that that's a very good point. I think that's a lot of it. When when I saw like in the spring, he looked solid, and I was like, maybe yeah. he's turned a corner here. Like he talked about, and, he, and in the interviews he did in spring training with like Joel Goldberg and stuff on Fox, he sounded confident. He sounded ready to go. And so I and I've been driving the Coar hype train since he got drafted. I, I've loved the kid, and I thought he was going to be a, at least if nothing else, a surefire, like, back-end, like, fireman and just be a great reliever if you couldn't make it as a starter. That, like, that's fine. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't know what he is at this point. And it's really concerning to see some of these guys, like, the flameouts happen super fast for all yeah. of them, I think. It's, it's disheartening. Not, it is. It's very – and especially when the Royals have – built like the the rebuild like we're going to compete because we're going to get all these college pitchers to come up and they're going to be they're going to be our rotation they're going to be in our bullpen and they're going to help us compete and none of them have have even solidified themselves as a viable big league pitcher at this point right You're and that's exactly the hope right. now it's not like it looked two years ago looked like shoot we have four guys we can plug into our rotation by this year by 22 mm-hmm. and we're going to be ready to roll and now at this point we're just hoping that you get two viable pitchers out of this yeah. Now there's yeah. more coming with like Lacey, Alec Marsh, John Boland, and others that you can hope then f- can fill in, but it sets you behind because you were expecting these guys to be a part of it. And then those guys have to supplement and not come in to be part of the solution immediately. Yeah. So there's, and it makes the, I didn't love the idea of the Frankie Montas trade at the time, but it makes a lot of sense right now. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense why the Royals were so in on him. Uh, I don't know where he's going to end up. It looks like Chicago wants him. Uh, so the Royals, they, they need to figure something out 
and with some veteran pitching or changes in the, the coaching staff, pitching development, something, because if you want to win and you want to start competing by 2023, it starts on the mound. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I'll keep this one short. Look, um, I think it was the stat was like the last 30 pro big prospects that the Royals have 14 of them are pitchers, almost 50% of them are pitchers. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why is, and I know Dayton Moore understands this is, is that every person you draft in the first round, every pitcher that you project is going to be a starter within a year or two or even three years. Not every one of them is going to pan out. They're yeah. just not. The odds are against it. Guys get hurt. Guys don't handle emotionally. Guys just sometimes just don't have the success you think. And so I think they're on the right track. They're getting more pitchers. I mean, I know back in my generation, there were so many first rounders that didn't even make it to double A. I mean, it was it was crazy. And I won't even list that long list. I played with a bunch of them and I'm wondering, how did you even go in the first round out of Stanford or whatever this college was? So they're they're getting it right. I just feel like maybe we put a little bit of too many eggs in this draft basket. Yep. And so now we're at the start of the season. We're having to hurry up and scramble to get it before we get behind the eight ball too much. And I think they're already starting to get to that point. Yeah. Uh, and normally the Royals start out April usually pretty well. They did well. They had the best record in baseball after April last year. So yeah. they, they got to figure things out. But, I mean, if you're wanting to be I – mean, I think they, if they need to hit over their win total. I think like Alex and I talked about last week, 74 and a half is what we've seen. They need to be over that if you want to try and compete in 2023. And not even – I don't even make the playoffs in 23. But you just be viable. Be yeah. 500, a couple yeah. over, and at least make, play meaningful baseball into August and September. Yeah. And not I feel be like you got to push 80. Yeah. I, I, I got I to give them 80. I mean, I, I, I agree exactly. If you want to even contend and then get to 24, maybe the playoffs – I, I'm going to be a little bit rougher and say you need to be pushing 80, 81 games right around that 500 mark because if yep. you're not, it's not this crew is not going to be just a flash in the pan, lightning in a bottle. It's just not going to work that way. We won in 2015 and got there 2014 because you had the Hosmers, Mustakis, the Salvies, and and all those guys, and then and then obviously Zobris helped and Kane helped, and you got the big three pitching. But a lot of that core guys, they came up through the minor leagues together, mm -hmm. and they all succeeded together. And this has not been the case with this pitching staff. No, not at all. And I I said seventy seven was where I think they're going to be. Yeah, that was my prediction. Yeah, that was my prediction. Now, would I love them to win eighty? Absolutely. And it's it's a rough thing to say six ish games into the season that 77 feels generous right now. If this is what we're going to get every fifth day from the pitching staff, it's, it's, it's getting dicey early and mm -hmm. you never want to feel that way as a fan, no matter who your team is, you never want to feel like, Holy crap, this is going South fast yeah. in the first week of the season. Yeah. Let's remember this. So it's all our fans, all our, all Royals fans and listeners and readers and watchers, viewers, all that. It's not about the wins and losses. And people say, well, it's only the first week of the season. You're absolutely right. And we're not saying, oh, season's over. They're right. coming into tonight's game at two and three. It's a losing record. They're in last place. Look, that's not the case at all. The thing I'm looking for is how often are they over the middle of the plate? They gave up 17 runs and 10 runs, 27 runs in back-to-back -back games. And, and if you go back and look, and, and every team goes through that, you know, the old Yankees that were the big, humongous payroll, even they did that, uh, you know, in route to, you know, three World Series out of four years. But the point of that is, if you're going to be this generation that's going to track exit velocity, 
check the exit velocity when you're giving up 17 runs because it's high. They're over the middle of the plate. Daniel Lynch pitched well, pitched brilliantly in some areas. But again, he was over the middle of the plate. And so that's the thing that we're talking about. We're not gloom and doom after one week. I'm still waiting for a month. I'm still waiting for hitters to have 100 at-bats. I'm still waiting for pitchers to have five and six starts before we really get a legitimate idea. We're just looking about where we're heading. And look, if you know there's a route when you're driving somewhere that it's inevitably going to crash, you're going to take a different route. So right now we're thinking, okay, there are signs that this road may not be good, so maybe let's navigate a different route and see if we can avoid the things that we're talking about that, that scare us. I really just want to see some fight. I think that's the biggest thing early on is like Mike, the old Mike Tyson quote, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Okay? And I think, I don't <laughs> I think that. the Royals first saw two and three and getting absolutely shellacked two games in a row against the Cleveland guardians. And apparently finding out that Stephen Kwan is the greatest baseball player of all time. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. That guy is ridiculous. Yeah. That's um, amazing. That was incredible. It was incredible. I'm not even mad as a baseball fan. That was incredible. Yeah. Um, but I need to see how do you pick yourself up off the mat after finding that and, and mm-hmm. seeing that. And now you got a four piece with the Tigers who are they're They're a good club, mm-hmm. uh, a really good team. I think uh, I AJ Hinch is one of the best managers in baseball. And he Agreed. found a, a way to get a lot out of a young, inexperienced Tiger team and get them pretty close to 500. Yeah. So you want to try and compete for 500 in the playoffs. You're competing with them too, along with Cleveland and Chicago, who's some of the class of the AL. Yeah. So there, there's a lot ahead of you, and you can't fall too far behind. Otherwise, it is up a creek without a paddle for the last four and a half months of the season. Right. It's not, and, it, it, can, it won't be pretty if it is, is ugly in April. And I feel like if the Royals don't get to, with, with the names they have and the talent they have, even with it, the pitching question marks, if they don't get to 500 and they end up third or fourth in the division, you're seeing A.J. Hinch take this team and get the most out of them while they're on their way up. Mm-hmm. You're seeing the, the if the Twins get fourth or fifth but hang in there and slowly improve, they're back on their way up. We, we obviously can see that the Guardians can hit and play, and their staff's pitching staff's pretty good, and we know what the White Sox have. So if, if the Royals underachieve with what they have, the names and the talent they have, Man, it's not a bright sign for the future. We might we might need to not be talking about 2023 or 2024 playoffs because we might be heading in the wrong direction. Again, first week, but we'll have to wait and see how this whole thing pans out. Yeah, I mean, you can see, I mean, even this early, you can see the broader storylines happening because I like I don't think Minnesota's great. I didn't they made some weird moves this year and I don't completely buy into it, but hey, they're at least trying and I respect that cuz there are teams in baseball that are not. Mm-hmm. Uh Detroit is they're they're a lot better. Cleveland's going to pitch even when their their hitting goes into a bit of a slump. They're still going to pitch. Chicago, Chicago. I don't care how many injuries they're had. They, they mm-hmm. are still going to run away with the division. So there's a lot to fight for here early, and winning these games early against divisional opponents is going to be paramount. So a lot early, a lot this weekend uh, to to pay attention to if you're a Royals fan. So any any final thoughts before we get you out of here, Les? Uh, yeah, you know uh, the thing I like. Um, is is just the fact that it's good to still be a baseball fan. I mean, I know mm-hmm. we had the lockout and with with COVID going on and then a shortened season to get baseball back, even with a lockout, man, it just, it makes you have a short memory on things. It's so great to be out. I mean, 
dude, I even caught a foul ball off Selvi in the middle deck on opening day. Nice. With my big giant mittens on. I mean, that's crazy. It's just so fun. And my son was with me. Of course, he went up to get a pretzel, didn't see it. He had to see it when he came <laughs> back. But again, you know, the whole idea is just that um, we talk about baseball, the good, the bad. It's our jobs. Uh, we're in the media. We, we, we're, we see things and we prognosticate. But the bottom line is, man, it's just good to have baseball back. It's great to be a baseball fan. I think it's the greatest sport in the world, obviously. But, um, yeah, man, um, good, bad, or ugly, whatever it is, it's just still good to be out there watching the Royals play and watching baseball. And has there been any other games or, or teams that you've been tuning into outside the Royals with baseball being back? I watched the game between the Blue Jays and the Yankees last time when Vlad hit three. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the Blue, Blue Jays – Remember the old, the, the mini Blue Jays dynasty that was going on there for a while? I mean, you know, they yeah. were in the World Series. I mean, Pat Borders was my first big league roommate. I heard so many stories about that that Blue Jays team. Um, I think they're going to be coming back into that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, and the Angels, it's, it'll be interesting to watch the Angels this year because now you have Trout healthy and Otani doing his thing. And so if some of those young guys can pick up the slack. They could finally contend. Um, and Trout could be on a team that actually gets to a World Series. Who knows? But, you know, there are some great storylines. There's some great young guys. You've got, uh, you know, a hitter in the Cubs that hit already hit three home runs in the first three games. And I'm, oh, yeah, that guy can yeah, rake. He can rake. Yeah. Uh, and I'm from Chicago and grew up going to games at Wrigley Field. So I'll always love the Cubs. So, yeah, there are are great teams and and storylines. Stephen Kwan, you mentioned. There are great storylines all over baseball. And uh, it's just so great to be a fan of the sport. Oh, yeah. I'm about to get off and hopefully watch some of these West Coast games here before I got to get up in the morning, go back to work. But uh, it's always good when I can come home from work. About an hour, I get an hour with my family. And then it's East Coast to West Coast. You know, just about seven days a week watching baseball. It's a it's a great time. About the next six months, I'm at my happiest. So it is. Yeah. It's great to be back. And Les, I can't thank you enough for joining me tonight. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely, Joel. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. I'll be here. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com